the podcast that will help you navigate your way through the world of adulthood and the uncontrollable forces of womanhood. I'm Georgina Beasley, your host, and today I had the incredible privilege of speaking with the wonderful Lauren Curtin. Lauren is a Chinese herbalist, she's an acupuncturist, and she specializes in women's health and the reproductive system. So we sat down to talk all about optimizing your menstrual cycle and balancing out your hormones. It was such a great chat and I took so much away from it, so I hope you guys get the same out of it. Um, I also just wanted to let you know while I've got you here that Lauren is actually hosting a webinar this Sunday the 21st of March called Restore Your Cycle with Holly Sinclair and the webinar is for women who are experiencing amenorrhea, irregular cycles or PCOS and they'll be exploring the causes of those issues and sharing practical ways that you they can help you support the cycle back to balance by combining wisdom from both traditional Chinese medicine and modern functional medicine. So if you do like the sound of that, I will pop the links to that in the show notes so you can go check it out. But before we get into the interview, I'd like to acknowledge the Ngunnawal people, the traditional custodians of the land I reside on here in Canberra, and pay my respects to their elders past, present and emerging. I extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander listeners here today. All right, I will leave you to listen to this wonderful interview. Have a lovely day, guys. Hello, Lauren. Welcome back to the WOW podcast. Thank you so much for joining us again. Thank you for having me back. I'm excited to keep talking about periods. Yes, second time lucky. I mean, the first podcast interview I did with you was the very beginning of the WOW podcast. I appreciate it so much because you were one of the very first guests that was so open and willing to talk to me. Um, And we're going to talk about all things optimizing the menstrual cycle and balancing hormones but we ended up just going on a really big deep dive into I guess general knowledge period related content because turns out I wasn't really taught a lot in school and I thought that I knew a lot of my friends felt the same about it so we didn't really get to touch on what we wanted to but that's why we're here today for part two. And I think that is usually how it goes. Like usually we need to lay down the foundations first before we can get into what to do next. Like we need to first understand what is actually going on with the cycle and then we can take it forwards in how we want to optimize it. Absolutely. So for those listeners who are listening, thinking, I don't really know what you're on about. I haven't listened to this episode (laughs) yet. Um, I will link it in the show notes below uh, because it was right back at the beginning. So please go have a listen to that one before sitting down and listening to today's because I think it will make a lot more sense once you've listened to the beginning and Lauren really fleshes out, um, you know, how our cycle actually works, the different phases that we go through and all of those like nitty gritty um, questions that we have in between. So today we are talking about optimizing our menstrual cycle and balancing our hormones. Um, So to begin with, Lauren, could you share a little bit about yourself? So I live in Melbourne. I live south of Melbourne on the Mornington Peninsula. It's for those that aren't familiar with it, it's more of like a beachy part of Melbourne. It's very like a beachside town and it's very quiet. Except in summer, that's when it's really busy. <laughs> um, winter is nice. And I work in, at a clinic in Mornington where I see women and couples working on women's health and fertility. And then I also work with women all around the world online as well. So most of my days are spent talking about menstrual cycles, helping women with their periods and fertility. And that's pretty much it in a nutshell. I've been following Lauren for a while, well, be- well before I started the WOW podcast, um, just because with my own journey with having endometriosis, I found the content that you put out on Instagram, especially for anyone that's just wanting to become more knowledgeable about, I guess, the female body and our reproductive um, systems and how it all works. You just create such a safe space for women and your blog and everything that you share is just so informative and helpful. So thank you for that because it really is good to have it like broken down into like normal makes sense talk. Um, 
<laughs> but to get into the first question of the episode today is just a, a slight recap. Could you just let us know what is the most important function of the period? Like what does the period actually do? Well, the period doesn't do much. It's more so ovulation that does the bulk mm. of it. So the period is really the flow on from having ovulated previously in the cycle. So as we spoke about in the first episode, we've got our different phases of the menstrual cycle. We've got our period, then we go into our follicular phase, then we ovulate, and then two weeks later, roughly, we'll get our period. But we will only get our period if we've ovulated. So the period really serves as a great sign that our body is working optimally because if we've gotten a period, we can basically say that we've ovulated. And then in order to ovulate, our body has to be pretty healthy and happy for that to happen. So things like stress, hormone imbalances, inflammation, nutrient deficiencies can interrupt ovulation. And then with our period, it can really give us a clue into what's going on. So if our period is really late or if it's super early for some reason, or if it's super irregular, the actual timing of our period tells us a lot about our overall health. So mm -hmm. it, the function of the period really is like um, a, the, the best insight into our overall health as women and gives us so many clues as to what's going on with our underlying health. And it's just like this great reminder, ideally every month of paying attention to our health, and giving us insight into what's going on. So it's definitely worth paying attention to rather than, you know, kind of ignoring and pretending like it's not happening. Mm, absolutely. I think something that you explained in the last episode that was so beautiful is that I think a lot of us do think that the period is the only thing that encompasses, you know, what goes on in the female body, but it, it just, that episode just really makes you realize how much the period is one part of a huge complex process of the female body and our organs inside of us and how it all works together as one. And so the period is just one aspect, I guess, that can be out of whack. And there's many other aspects that we need to be looking out for. Um, how do you make sure that we're more aware of our general overall um, cycle and not just of our period? Like what are kind of the things that we should be looking out for to be like, maybe our cycle's not as normal as what I think, rather than just going, oh, my period's a bit over the place. Is that the only thing that is an, a, an example of maybe things aren't the way they should be or...? I mean, basically, so everything to do with the period would pretty much relate to the cycle as well. Mm. But one of the biggest things is the timing of your period. So mm. that is for people just getting started. That would be the first thing for them to be really paying attention to. You know, like a lot of women that I see when I say, okay, what day are you in of your cycle today? They'll pull out their phone and look at the app and say, I'm day 21 or I'm day seven. But some women are like, I have no idea. And I'll be like, have you, did you write it down in your calendar? And, and they haven't, which is okay. But it, it, for some women, their period kind of comes and goes and they may not be paying attention to the timing of their period. Like they, mm -hmm. maybe, they might, like, maybe it was six weeks ago, maybe it was three months, I can't really remember. Mm -hmm. But if we start to pay attention to the timing of our period, that can really give us a lot of insight because if our period is coming perhaps like maybe every two or three weeks, that's generally not ideal. Mm. If it's coming around a month, great. If it's extending more to like five to six weeks or if it's getting to like every three months, then you can be like, okay, something's going on. Something's a bit off. So just looking at the timing is really important. Um, but then also looking at the volume of blood that you, that you lose is really important. But then in terms of the actual whole cycle, looking for your signs of ovulation is great. So paying attention to the cervical mucus that you see um, for a lot of women, if they're not actively looking for their cervical mucus, they might just completely miss it or it may just not be at the forefront of their mm. attention and just kind of miss it, which is fine. But if you kind of have it in, in your awareness and you're like, okay, each day you're just uh, paying attention to what's going on with your mucus, then that can tell you a lot about your cycle as well. And you can start to observe those patterns that happen. You can be like, okay, after my period, do I see no mucus at all or do I start seeing mucus as soon as my period finishes um, if you have dry days how many dry days are you seeing and then do you see your mucus start to change or increase as you're approaching ovulation and then what what is it like after ovulation because some women will have like a low level 
something, you know, some cervical mucus their whole cycle. Mm. And some women, they will have very clear dry days and very clear and obvious wet days, you could say, or days when there's cervical mucus. And so paying attention to that, it can be really beneficial and noticing any subtle differences in the quality of the mucus and seeing what your normal is because some women might see watery, just fluid, and some women might see the really slippery, clear, egg white, like stretchy mucus. And for some women, it could be more lotiony, like a bit more creamy, a bit more white and opaque. So it's important for everyone to know what their normal is Mm. so that then they can see if it changes like quite dramatically it's extremely obvious very quickly Mm. rather than being like oh I don't know if it's normally like this because I haven't been paying attention um and then the other aspect of observing your ovulation is tracking your temperature because that can be really wonderful and beneficial I've heard that that's um a really great way I mean if you if you're not wanting to use um I guess the medical contraception method of the pill or IUD or whatever that might be that you can actually track um you know your fertility off your temperature yes and it's very effective when it's done properly so um you may know her, Jessie Brebner, on Instagram, who is fertility charting. She's a symptothermal instructor, a symptothermal method instructor, which is a type of fertility awareness method charting. And that method that she teaches is the, the most studied and the, and the most effective form of using it for contraception. Um, but basically, your temperature at rest actually changes depending on whether or not you've ovulated. So prior to ovulation, our temperature is very much so at a baseline. And then there's a thermal shift after ovulation. Mm-hmm. So when you're tracking your temperature, it's usually quite obvious and there's rules you need to follow to uh, make sure that you're doing it correctly and that you're observing that shift correctly. But that can actually tell you once you've ovulated and tracking your temperature tells you so much about your cycle. Like I get a lot of my um, patients and women that I work with to do it just for information purposes, even aside from contraception and fertility from a Chinese medicine perspective, just observing the trend of the chart. So observing the overall temperatures and the pattern um, it tells us so much about underlying health and it can really help a lot in terms of the treatment. So a lot of the time it's, it's actually really important information for me to see someone's chart because, you know, for our luteal phase, if they're perhaps ovulating a bit later in their cycle or if their luteal phase is short, we can see that definitively on their chart and we can be like, okay, look, your luteal phase was actually nine days that cycle. And that would indicate that that luteal phase was a bit short and you got heaps of symptoms with that period. Like that actually makes complete sense because there was that imbalance between your estrogen and your progesterone. And it's so great to just tangibly see that for the patient Mm. as well, to Mm. be able to point to that. It makes it so much easier to understand. And then for me clinically, it's like, it gives so much more extra detail that we can't actually get just through, um, just through our questioning. So it's a really great tool. I really recommend it for people, even if they're not wanting to commit to learning it for contraception, if they're wanting to learn just for like overall health, it actually gives you a lot of info. So I guess taking it back a step and when it comes to optimizing your menstrual cycle and trying to balance your hormones and, and do all these wonderful things that you're talking about, would you recommend in, in, in terms of a starting point, should women be trying to look at actually keeping a journal of, you know, maybe three months of tracking how your cycle goes and so that you can sit down, reflect and look back upon the past three months and go, do you know what? There's actually a lot of standout symptoms here that I feel like, you know, maybe uh, is what you mentioned here today. You know, they, they really stand out as something that Lauren's mentioned might be a sign of imbalanced hormones or stress or other things that are affecting my cycle. And maybe I should go see someone or, or work towards trying to balance them out myself. Would you recommend that as a good starting point? Oh, absolutely. I think the, as, the most amount of information you can collect about your body and your cycle, the better, because if you start collecting that, like you said, over three months, you've just gotten such a good overview of your health and such a good snapshot. And then if you do go and see somebody, you can present all of that to them and say, hey, look, this is the last three months. These are the last three months of my cycle. And if I had someone come in with that, I would be (laughs) extremely happy. Um, a lot of the time it's like, I don't know, I can't remember. Yeah, that's your <laughs> so, dream client right there. <laughs> that's your dream client. 
um, if you can present all of that to someone, and even if it's not someone that is more like naturally focused or someone that's more holistic, even if you presented it to your GP and were like, look, this cycle, I actually lost 100 mils of blood. And I was seeing plots that were the size of a 20 cent piece. Like if you can really quantify it in really tangible ways, then they can be like, huh, okay, that's really interesting. That is actually heavier than what we would like it to be. Um, instead of just saying like, you know, I had a heavy period. Like if you can actually get really specific on what that actually means, mm. it gives the person that's helping you so much more to work with. And then even just for the person, like if you're tracking all of your cycle parameters, if you just start to introduce something yourself, if you're like, okay, I'm going to be in bed before 12 p.m. every night, uh, 12 a.m. every night, um, let's see what that does with my cycle. Then you can just see it yourself. Like even if you're not working with someone, you can do these little experiments yourself and then just blatantly see how they help your health. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's interesting the way that you say even your GP giving them that extra level of knowledge because, you know, personally on my past experience, having only been diagnosed with endometriosis at, you know, at 22, so something that I've had for most of my pubescent life, I think that that is something that I think if I had had or if I had done would have really raised those red flags a lot more immediately. Like when you've got these kind of underlying issues that might come down to your cycle or your period or whatever that might be instead of going in and being like you know my period's just it's really it's it's a lot like it's, I, it's I'm in a lot of pain like the yeah. I guess a, a lot of women would go in and be like I have bad period pain but it's that's not really a it's it's a really hard thing to I guess um, what I want to say is not justify, but like what you were saying is when you go, my clots are a 20 cent piece. Like that is like, it's a very obvious what's going yeah. on. Whereas like when you say I'm in pain, when I have my period, it's like, yeah, but where, where's the spectrum of that? Like, where is the actual like tangible outcome of what type of pain are you experiencing? Where is that pain coming from? What are the other things that might be causing it? What's the flow on effect? Like, I think I can see how all this kind of information can really help from a women's health perspective of trying to figure out what might be going on with your body. Absolutely. And GPs only have a, a, like such a short time with everyone. So if you, and they may not ask you those specific questions, they usually don't. So if you can go in there and have all of that ready to go, you can be like, I'm seeing brown blood. I'm changing my paddle tampon every two hours, or I'm leaking. These are the clots. Um, if you can just like break it all down straight away, then they've instantly got more to work with. Um, mm. And then as well, if your period's super light and if you're like, look, I'm not even feeling a liner, that's not, that's also not ideal. Mm. So whatever is going on for you, if you think it's a little bit off, see how much you can actually break it down and how much you can like pull out and tease out from that and observe and, and then present it to whoever you would like to and, and see how they can help. Mm. So what would you say are your five most prevalent signs that something might be out of whack or out of balance with your menstrual cycle? What are the five most common signs that you're looking for? So we look at a few different things. So we go, we go through basically all of the cycle parameters because all of them will tell me something. So we look mm. at the cycle length. We look at how many days you bleed for, the volume, the colour, any clotting, any spotting. So that's more so like purely the period. And then we go into symptoms, so pain, you know, breast tenderness, headaches, migraines, digestion changes, mood changes, skin breakouts. Like it's hard to narrow it down to five. Yeah, <laughs> it's then, interesting when you're rattling it all off. Yeah. I'm like, it just does have such, like it's so yeah. entwined. Mm. Yeah, because someone okay. could have no like uh, PMS symptoms, but they might be spotting all the time. And everything else could be pretty good. So yeah, I have to ask like all of those different questions and just in case something is a bit out, even if everything else is seeming pretty good and they might've come in for something else. Mm. And then once we go through the period, then we can see what, um, if, if there's anything standing out that needs help. Can you optimize your period at home by yourself by doing like, you know, by really tracking and looking at it? at yourself or is this something that requires professional help and assistance and maybe supplements or medication or stuff like that like is is this worth seeing I guess a professional for if you think you have problems 
I think seeing someone is very helpful if you're just not sure where to start and you're not really mm-hmm. sure if you've been given maybe heaps of different opinions or if you haven't seen anyone at all and you're like, look, I don't even know where to begin with this. I think it is helpful to get some guidance and to be able to have someone objective look at your case for you because it can be tricky, you know, when you're in your own body and trying to figure it out and you're, I think having someone else's perspective can be really helpful. But that being said, the majority of the work is done at home. So you can get guidance and support, but the foundation of, you know, a happy period and balanced hormones happens at home. So that's like what your blood sugar is like, like how regularly you're eating, what your sleep is like, what your exercise and movement is like, what kind of products you're using. Like we, you know, I do acupuncture in the treatment and I give herbs, but that's really just one aspect of Mm. balancing hormones and supporting the menstrual cycle. So I I try to help women to have the tools so that they can maintain their menstrual health from home and they don't need to see me anymore. So once Mm. we've kind of seen what's going on and we've created a plan and we can get them into a good state, then it's like, okay, now you go and maintain this because you should be able to now. And of Mm. course, if they need help, they can come back. But ideally we can actually maintain it from home. But of course, you know, some people have very severe issues going on that it may be quite tricky to manage it completely themselves but a lot of it I think you totally can do it on your own and you know you mentioned your GB GP GP before but I mean who should we be going to see because there's obviously a few different areas I mean like you work in the holistic world of Chinese medicine and acupuncture um is a naturopath someone that you would consider seeing or should we just go to a gynecologist, a GP? There's obviously a few different people that can specialise in this area. It would depend on what they're needing help with because for some mm. people I would definitely refer them to their GP and, mm. and sometimes they don't, they don't need to go at all. Sometimes I might refer them to go for some extra testing just so we can see where some levels are sitting. Um, but it depends on what kind of care you're wanting. I would say. So with the GP, they're great for doing um, investigative testing. And ideally you're seeing like an integrative GP. That's who I refer my patients to. There's a really great GP clinic near where we live that is very holistic, very integrative. They're amazing. So that's where I send my patients. And if they need to do any extra testing or ultrasounds or anything like that, Um, But it can be really tricky with some GPs if they don't have that experience in women's health um, in terms Mm. of what they should test for or not understanding the importance of some tests. Um, But we have to think about just like the skill sets. So as a, um, like with naturopaths, I definitely recommend people seeing naturopaths if they want to for help with their cycle, but you're going to be getting um, like natural solutions from someone like me or someone like a naturopath. Whereas if you saw your GP, they don't have a lot of tools in the toolkit for cycle health. So they've got testing. Um, they can refer to the gynecologist that might do like surgery or more ultrasounds. And then there's the pill. And then there's ovulation induction um, medications and, and, and then like fertility drugs and things like that. But you're not going to be getting, unless you're seeing an integrated GP that's quite holistic, you're not going to be getting a plan that's too balance your cycle naturally. So just for women to be aware of that, that that's not actually what you're going to be getting, but you can be getting other support. And then if you see someone that's a bit more, um, comes from more of that natural approach, then you're going to be getting more like food advice, lifestyle advice. So there are a lot of different options and it, it can depend on what your your actual goal is and what kind of care you want to be, you want to be getting. But I find that the integrative approach is best because we can do nutrition we can do acupuncture and herbs and supplements as needed we can do the lifestyle stuff and then we can also look at the blood tests and we can look at the imaging and just combine it all together and that's when I see the best results Mm, absolutely um what would you say is the number one reason like in your opinion what is the number one reason you would recommend women actually spending the time the energy and the thought process into looking in their menstrual cycles and working towards optimizing it and balancing their hormones well briefly i would say for their health because that really sets you up for your whole life so typically we find that women that have more balanced or healthier menstrual cycles have easier transition into menopause mm. and women that have had 
more trickier time with their menstrual cycle in their reproductive years can can have a harder time in that menopausal transition. Um, but it's it's if you're working on your menstrual cycle, then you are automatically working on your overall health. So even if you know someone's like, well, I don't really care about my period, who, like who cares? Um, I get that, but when you're working on your period, you are working on every body system. So it, it's just like a really nice introduction into working on your overall health. And if that's something that is important to someone, then it can be so beneficial. And then you can use that as your marker. You know, if something happens in your life that is stressful, or if you have if you get sick, or if there's a big life event and you see something change with your menstrual cycle you know exactly why that's happened. And then you can be like, okay, I need to get back into balance, see the cycle regulate. And you can be like, okay, cool. I'm back to my, my happy medium again. Mm, so it's absolutely. Yeah. Before we delve in as to like how we, what areas we should look at focusing on when optimizing and regulating the cycle, we do have a couple of listener questions. Um, the first one is from Ebony and she wants um, maybe just your top tips on getting your menstrual cycle back after coming off the pill. Mm, that's super common. I see a lot of women that struggle to get that next, like to get their cycle either regulated or even to get their first period back post pill. Um, there's a few different reasons why that could be happening. I would want to know when she got her very first period and then how long it was until she started the pill. Cause that will be different if someone, you know, gets their first period and starts the pill the next month compared to someone that got their period and then maybe started the pill 10 years later. So that mm. history can be really important and can play a role in your experience coming off the pill. Um, it would depend how long she has been off the pill for. If it's been longer than three months, then I would suggest getting some blood tests done and checking out what your hormone levels are doing. If it's been under three months, then really start with the basics. The pill depletes our absorption, can deplete our absorption of certain nutrients. And it's typically the nutrients that we need in great quantities for ovulation. So that's why mm. it can, one of the ways that it can impact our, our ovulation and cycles returning regularly post pill. But I'd be focusing a lot on nutrition. So super nutrient dense foods, eliminating, you know, fast food, processed foods, trying to simplify as much as you can and going for nutrient density. Then also looking at gut health because the pill can affect, um, as I said, the nutrient absorption and it can change our microbiome as well, which then relates into our hormonal balance too. So looking at your gut health, maybe looking at some like some beautiful bone broth um, to help heal and seal the gut lining. And then you also want to be looking at stress levels. You want to look at sleep. Um, it's interesting because sometimes for some women, their period may have actually stopped if they weren't on the pill due to lifestyle. And it's only mm. once they've stopped the pill that they're like, oh, I actually don't have a period. It's kind of that mm. false sense of security. So that's something that's important to know because some women that I work with actually have hypothalamic amenorrhea, which is no period yes. due to under eating, over exercising or high stress or all, all three. And if and, anyone wants to learn more about that condition, I actually did do an episode on it with Sarah oh. Liz King. Um, yeah, so scroll back through a couple. Um, I think that was, yeah, it would have been two months ago. So late last year. So go give that one a listen because that is also very interesting. Oh, perfect. That's so good that you've got that ready to go. It's, <laughs> it's really, yeah, it's really interesting because some women, their period would have actually stopped if they weren't mm. on the pill due to what they were doing, but, you know, they were still on the pill. So then when they stopped, they're like, oh, okay, I actually don't have my period. And so that would actually be different compared to your period not coming back due to having been on the pill. So it's kind of, there's a few different scenarios that can happen. Um, so I would, for Ebony, I would be looking at the time frame. If it's been longer than three months, definitely get some extra support. If it's under three months, really just start with the basics, nurturing yourself, looking at your food, looking at your environment, sleep, stress, stress levels, all of that kind of stuff. Mm, wonderful. And um, Janae wants to know why she has spotting and other PMS symptoms on cycle day 17 and onwards, and if she can extend her 23-day cycle. Um, she may be getting spotting for lots of different reasons. That mm. one's quite specific, so I may not be able to give a 
a specific answer or a general answer because there's a few different things that could be going on there, but it is possible to extend your cycle. So if she's experiencing a 23-day cycle, that's when the temperature charting comes in handy because if she's doing her temperature, we would be able to see, is she actually ovulating? Because sometimes with a shorter cycle, you may not be and you're just getting a, a breakthrough bleed. Um, so she could confirm herself, is she actually ovulating? And then if she is, where is that happening in the cycle? So, cause if it's quite short at 23 days, perhaps that luteal phase could be short. Mm. Um, but it would be worth confirming if ovulation is actually taking place to begin with. Mm, absolutely. And then lastly, Zaley wants to know, is there ways that, is it possible to naturally balance your hormones to normalize the cycle? Yes, I would yes. say it is possible because that's what I do all day. <laughs> um, but yes, totally. It's totally possible. I mean, everyone's background and everyone's current health status is different, but our hormones are responding to our environment all the time. So it's very possible to change the environment and then change your hormones. And that question does work very well as we lead into the next segment which is going to be really breaking down how we can actually look at regulating our cycle so where should we begin what kind of what are these environmental factors that you're talking Mm -hmm. about um, that we should be aware of in in you know trying to make sure that we're balancing our hormones well basically we're exposed to a lot of environmental chemicals on a daily basis So they're in the air, they're in our water supply, they're in our products and they're in our food. Mm. So a really great way to positively influence our hormones is by just reducing as much as we can our exposure to these environmental chemicals that can influence our hormones. So that might look like getting a, a good water filter so that you're not getting chemicals in your tap water that mimic estrogen, which can throw things out of balance. And that's kind of like an easy one where once you do that, that's you've kind of got that and it's good to go for a long time. Like you can be like, okay, I'm, I'm getting rid of pesticides that might be in the water if I'm doing this or I'm at least reducing them. And that's one aspect kind of taken care of with the water filter. Um, and then also looking at your food. So if you're not eating organically, um, that could be something that you can really look at now and say, okay, we know that pesticides and herbicides and, and those types of like food, industrial chemicals can mimic estrogen and can impact our endocrine system, so our hormonal system. And we also know that they can disrupt the microbiome. So that's kind of two different ways in which it could be influencing our menstrual cycles as well as our fertility. There's massive links with um, these chemicals with egg quality and fertility and sperm quality. So they are quite, I mean, problematic. (laughs) (laughs) Um, so trying to shift to organic as much as you can, and that doesn't have to be perfect, but you could be like, okay, what can I actually buy in my produce that is organic? And by doing that, you're just reducing that exposure to those extra chemicals. And then also looking at your, um, like your animal protein being like, can I go organic and grass fed? Can I go for wild caught fish? Can I go for organic and pastured or free range eggs? Just kind of making those different switches. So you might be actually eating similar stuff, but maybe better quality and just Mm. reducing exposure. Um, Mm. And then that big one is plastics. So that definitely impacts egg quality, definitely impacts our hormones and our estrogen. So you could be looking at if you're drinking out of a plastic water bottle every day, try switching it to glass or try switching it to stainless steel or something like that. I'd be avoiding consuming foods from plastic as much as you can. It is very difficult to do that completely, but something Mm. like the water bottle is super simple. And once you've got it, you know, it's going to last a long time. So you can just keep Mm. using that. And it's good because um, I know even places like Kmart and Target, they're bringing, introducing Mm. glass um, food containers, uh, which, uh, you know, sometimes this stuff isn't the most um, financially appropriate um, things to be doing, but it's really good to see these kind of businesses bringing in, I guess, a, a, a cheaper 
alternative to the plastic um, that isn't going to cost you, you know, an arm and a leg to try do. Um, And on the food, I mean, a big thing, I know it can be expensive to buy organic, but sometimes going to farmer's markets is a really good, a a cheaper alternative rather than going to the supermarket and looking at the organic section because those prices always seem to be a lot higher than going to the farmer's market and you get to chat directly to the people who produce the food. And even like the delivery boxes, like a lot of those those farms do delivery boxes as well. So if it's not practical to actually get there to the market, you can have it delivered to you. Um, But yeah, what you mentioned about like some things can be cost prohibitive. And I talk about that a lot with my patients. I'm like, look, it's a lot of stuff. Like once you start actually getting into all of the things that can impact our hormones and our menstrual cycles, it can feel overwhelming because you're like, wow, it's basically everything. Yeah. (laughs) Like, hmm. um, but I say, like, I always tell people, I'm not expecting them to make all these changes overnight in any way, should it be form, you know, see what you can implement this week. And maybe if something runs out, you'll like, in terms of like body products and household products, if the, if your deodorant runs out or if your shampoo runs out, you can be like, okay, maybe I'm going to swap it this time for a natural alternative for an organic alternative. And this might take a while, like this could take months until everything is swapped over. But then all of a sudden, maybe like six to 12 months later, your exposure has completely dropped down and you're not having to deal with and be exposed to these chemicals as regularly. We're still going to get exposed. There's basically no getting around it, but it's just like, how can we minimize that in areas that are just unnecessary, like a plastic water bottle, like we can easily get glass in most situations and then just keep reusing it and it's going to last a long time Mm. Um, I know one thing from our last podcast that I know you mentioned was um how bad nail polish can be in terms of just yeah it the way because it goes directly onto the nails which is kind of like a direct um a direct road into our bloodstream for for chemicals and toxins so I know since I had that last episode with you I'm like no nail polish for me Yeah, which I mean, in some ways can, there'll be some things that will end up saving you money (laughs) that you can then use to, yeah, yeah. Because if you're really simplifying, like even like, like all of the beauty things that we may be doing, like if we're tanning or getting our eyelashes done and dyeing our hair um, or, you know, there's a lot of different like external beauty things that we can be doing that are super expensive. So if it is, you know you can weigh things up a little bit I think we can be like okay is this super necessary or can I be spending this money towards my health or maybe I don't need to like as we were talking about nail polish maybe I don't need to get my nails done every month or every two weeks like that's saving what like fifty dollars maybe just there I don't know how much it costs anymore yeah I Um, never got my nails done professionally I just like buying them and painting uh, them myself because I'm a bit of a stinge but it meant that I don't buy nail polish now there you go there you go and I think with the nail polish as well it's like the fumes like you're breathing in those those chemicals as well which it's obvious as soon as you open it it just smells oh yeah because which I think is like I think with anything anything that you're doing in your day-to-day routine or lifestyle that maybe you're like this just feels like I'm pouring chemicals onto (laughs) my body that maybe that's where you go hey this is maybe something that I could relook at or yeah look at changing (laughs) And, you know, some people might say, you know, painting my nails once in a while isn't going to make the biggest difference, surely. And it may not be, but what we know in terms of how these chemicals can impact our hormones is it's that low dose chronic exposure. So painting your nails once may not be doing much, but we also have to think about how much exposure to all of these different chemicals we've had since we were born and before Mm. we were born as well with like our mum's eggs and dad's sperm all of that plays a role so it's just trying to bring down that cumulative effect and take the pressure off so other than environmental factors which we've just touched Mm -hmm. on what are other areas that we can look at today in that we can maybe make some changes to help regulate the cycle yeah so um i mentioned food in terms of like kind of switching up to organic where possible but in terms of your nutrition that's massive like a lot Mm. of women are unintentionally under eating and in terms of, and that can really impact um, blood sugar levels as well as just our nutrient status. A lot of people have nutrient deficiencies. 
um, that you wouldn't really expect if they're eating good amounts of foods because the portion doesn't necessarily equal the nutrition. So something that can be really important and beneficial is just balancing your blood sugar. So if you're someone that skips brekkie or skips lunch or even dinner or eats on the run, um, that can really impact your blood sugar and also what type of food you're eating. If it's more, more carbohydrate-based, then your blood sugar is likely to spike and then drop. Whereas if you're having more healthy fats and protein with your meals, that's really giving that nice stability to your blood sugar. And the reason that can impact our hormones is because if our blood sugar is stable, then it means that the liver can keep doing its job of just metabolizing our hormones and not having to pump out glycogen to get sugar into our bloodstream. So we really want to keep everything nice and smooth. And that also helps to keep cortisol at bay because if we're, if we're potentially under eating or we're going really long stretches between having our meals, then our cortisol will start pumping and adrenaline just to kind of give us some energy and over time that can absolutely be inflammatory and can really impact our hormonal balance so just eating at regular times eating um, good balances of your foods like getting good healthy fats getting good protein and still getting good carbs in and looking at the nutrition content as well being like okay what am i actually getting from this food um, avoiding a lot of like processed and packaged foods and just trying to go as simple as possible like lots of good vegetables lots of good protein so you're getting lots of good magnesium and good amino acids which are essential for liver metabolism and detoxification for our hormones and so we can really do a lot with diet i find that um like especially with amenorrhea diet needs to be a really big focus to make sure that they're getting enough energy in because i always tell my patients that don't have a period that ovulation is so energy dense like it's a really energy expensive process and if your body just doesn't have that, then why, why would it de devote that to ovulating when it's like, I need to be squirreling these resources away somewhere else. So mm. if we can get your body feeling safe with getting enough nutrition coming in, that can make the world of difference. And then with things like period pain or endo, diet can be so supportive in bringing down inflammation and balancing hormones. Mm. The other thing I heard you mention was sleep. Now I'm really yeah. interested to know how sleep affects our hormone levels and, and what kind of, I guess, things you recommend doing without, is there sleep hygiene tactics or does it come down to how much sleep we're getting? Could you touch on that? Our sleep plays a huge role in our hormonal balance. Melatonin is a really strong, so melatonin is our, is our sleep hormone that we secrete at nighttime once the sun goes down. And ideally, ideally, cortisol should be dropping at that time and melatonin is rising. And then in the morning, they switch. So mm. we really want to be optimizing our melatonin. And it's a really strong antioxidant for our egg cells. So it's really important for how well that follicle develops and matures the egg, but also just how well the follicle matures in general, which is what we're going to be making our hormones from eventually mm. with ovulation. So melatonin is really important, but it can also affect the secretion of our other hormones like FSH and LH, which talk to the ovary to get them to respond and begin the process of ovulation. And so this really is important for people that aren't getting enough sleep or they're doing shift work or they're just going to bed really late every night and their, their um, circadian rhythm is kind of out of whack. Like People that say that they're night owls, it, it usually just means that their circadian rhythm is out of balance because they're getting this surge of energy at nighttime and that's actually just cortisol pumping rather than their melatonin. Um, so, yeah, like you said, with the sleep hygiene, it's super easy stuff. Like it's, it's not typically anything complicated or expensive. I recommend people to do the legs up the wall pose. So just laying down mm. with your legs elevated, super calming and stimulated to, um, stimulating to the vagus nerve, which helps to get us into our parasympathetic nervous system, which is our rest, digest and calm state. So however we can stimulate the vagus nerve is very beneficial. We do that with acupuncture as well. So legs up the wall really helps, or even just laying flat on the ground, super calming and relaxing to just bring your body down from the day, especially if you've had a really busy day or a stressful day, giving your nervous system that time to just calm down and soothe before going to sleep. And then looking at um, like artificial light and things like that, like trying to dim the lights as it gets dark 
as to kind of replicate what is happening outside and then trying to avoid screens directly for, before bed, like maybe you have a read or you might have a read for a half an hour to an hour or you might have a really nice long bath or a nice shower and like rub some oils on your skin, like finding ways that you can be winding down without screens directly before bed really helps. And that's mm. because the, um, the blue light from the screens can just reduce your melatonin production. And that tends to really ripple out and help to support your hormonal balance. And also just having consistency with your sleep and wake times. So mm. if some people are like, you know, maybe going to bed at 10 o'clock some nights or going to bed at 1am some nights, some nights it's 11. Like if it's kind of all over the shop, we can't really expect consistency from our body. So we need to give our body consistency and it'll give it back. So try to have a rough time when you're like, okay, this is the time that I typically want lights off. And this is a time that I'm going to wake up in the morning. Um, just so that like overall, it's pretty consistent. Of course, if there's those days where it's out, where it's off, it's okay. But try mm. and have overall your sleep and wake times pretty similar. So you're sending that clear message and you're really helping to balance your circadian rhythm. Mm. And so sleep, we know, is really important. When I mentioned night shift before, like uh, we know that nurses and night shift workers have... Uh, they're more likely to have irregular cycles. They're more likely to have longer cycles because that's how much staying awake at nighttime can really impact ovulation. So if your cycles are regular, typically ovulation has been impacted. So that's really common for people that work night shift for whatever reason, um, or if they just tend to be awake at nighttime, that the cycle can often get thrown out of balance. So it really makes a really big impact. Mm. Now, just quickly movement and exercise mm -hmm. what are your i mean can, uh, does moving and exercising really help our hormones and our cycle or is there things that maybe we shouldn't be doing when we're on our period to help benefit it all what what's your recommendations there yeah i think we can use exercise and movement really therapeutically so with the amenorrhea with hypothalamic amenorrhea in particular we really want to be looking at exercise and most likely very much toning it down. So if you're someone that is doing a gym class five days a week or maybe six or seven days a week and it's quite high intensity and you don't have your period or your period's really irregular, that's definitely a sign to start pulling it back at the gym mm. and just giving your body a bit of rest and recalibration time um, because exercise is a stress on our body. So it can be a positive stress or it can actually be depleting us if it's too much. Um, and, and we're producing cortisol. If we've already got enough going on, we don't necessarily need more added to our system. Mm. And then on the other side, if someone isn't really moving that much or is more, um, you know, has more of like a desk job, they're sitting a lot or they're driving a lot, then they may not be getting much movement into their daily routine. And then that can cause a lot of congestion and stagnation within the pelvis because that blood flow is just not circulating as well. And we know that people that sit a lot actually have reduced blood flow throughout their reproductive system. And blood flow is one of the most important things in helping to support our reproductive system because that's how the hormones travel. So if the mm -hmm. blood flow is reduced, the hormones can't do their job as well. Um, is there yeah. good stretches? Like, I mean, should we, so when, if you're working a nine to five desk job, you're sitting a lot, you're in the car a lot. Um, I mean, is going for a run the best thing to do or is, is it gentle yoga and stretching? Is there certain positions that uh, are better for really um, getting that blood moving in the pelvic region? What would you recommend totally. there? Yeah. For sure. I mean, even like the legs up the wall pose drops yeah. a lot of blood flow into your reproductive system. Um, it would depend on the person if like running is best for them and like the frequency and the intensity, um, but just walking, like walking, if you walk until like your hands and feet feel warm, then you know that you've invigorated your circulation, like within the capillaries, which is really important. Mm -hmm. So brisk walking is amazing. It doesn't have to be anything more intense than that, but even doing like more weight, ba weight based exercises is really important for women. Um, but then doing the stretching, like you said, like the yoga and Pilates is awesome because you're getting that strengthening and conditioning, but it's also that lower intensity. So it's perhaps not depleting you like other exercise could be. Um, but like in yoga, you know, lots of hip openers, lots of stretches that really get into your glutes and your hips. 
um, really help to invigorate that blood flow and just get things moving rather than if we spend a lot of time sitting, we're kind of in that right angle all the time. So trying to get those different angles in to get the the movement happening. And you're also stretching the ligaments and tendons and all of those tendons and ligaments that support the reproductive system attach into the pelvis. So if you're stretching your glutes and stretching all of that, that can help to support your reproductive system um, like structurally as well. Mm, I know <laughs> I had, um, one of the health professionals I see just recommend happy baby pose. Like oh, yeah. whenever you've been sitting, just lay on your back. Uh, it's that one where, um, you've got your legs yeah. up in the air and you've got your hands like holding your big toe basically. And you're laying on your back and it's kind of, you look, it's the strangest pose to walk in and see someone do, but my God, apparently it's meant to be really good. So, <laughs> um, and as we come to the end of the episode, Lauren, I'm wondering if you could recommend a motto or quote when it comes to women's health or our reproductive systems that you'd like to share with us. Hmm. I don't have a I don't have a quote on the top of my head necessarily, but in terms of like a motto or kind of like a, something to live by in terms of the reproductive system, I keep it super simple and just paying attention to it because once we pay mm. attention to our reproductive system and our cycle, we just go leaps and bounds in our overall health. So just paying attention is totally the first step. Mm, mm. I love that. Um, Lauren, you obviously have a beautiful Instagram and a website where you can book appointments and also take a really good read on some of the blogs that you um, write about when it comes to women's health and our menstrual cycles. So I'll make sure to leave all those links in the show notes below so you guys can go check her out um, because she really is a wealth of knowledge. But thank you so much for joining us today and coming back for part two. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of The Wow, guys. I hope you enjoyed it and learned something new. I release new episodes every Tuesday, so make sure you hit follow if you're on Spotify and subscribe if you're on Apple Podcasts. And while you're there, why not leave me a lovely little review because that would just mean so much. Otherwise, you can come follow me on Instagram at thewowpodcast underscore for more updates. If you did enjoy the episode, have a look back through. Maybe there's some other ones you might also enjoy listening to. Lastly, just a friendly little reminder that the information shared in this podcast is general advice only and does not take into account your personal situation or needs. Where appropriate, please consult a professional first. Have a lovely week, guys. I'm on the road.